Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. BenSound.com. Welcome, everyone, to today's Earth Energy Forecast Show on this Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. Thank you for tuning in today, or if you're listening later to the podcast, I am your host, Joan Serio. So I really hope that everyone's doing well, uh, that you're finding your new normal in this time of abnormal Um, And it's a time of transition. It's a time of change. And with any change, you know, it it takes a while. It's it's not always comfortable. But these are the energies that we are in right now. And speaking of energy, today I'm going to bring back a guest that I've had on earlier. I'm going to bring back Eric Thompson onto the show to talk about subtle energies Eric Thompson is the founder of Subtle Energy Sciences, LLC, and began his healing journey into the world of consciousness technologies after struggling with bipolar disorder for nearly four decades. For the last 12 years, he has been researching and developing proprietary methods for producing and capturing subtle energies in digital form. He has also developed methods for amplifying subtle energetic waveforms and embedding them into digital media. This proprietary process results in a digital media that, when opened and played on most electronic devices, broadcasts silent energy pulses that assist anyone in various areas of health, healing, consciousness expansion, and human performance. His website is subtle.energy, and you can reach him at support at subtle.energy. Also, Eric has been very nice to us and to the world lately. He's developed a free quantum immunity 2.0, and I have the link on the show page, and you can go there and click on it, and I'm sure Eric will discuss that a little bit later in the show. So, Eric, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, Joan, I really appreciate you having me. Wonderful. So we are in changeable energy and maybe not so subtle energies right now, but what is subtle energy? How do we know the difference between, you know, like electrical energy or chemical energy? What is subtle energy? So we we define uh, subtle energy as any energetic force 
that is so subtle that it can't be accounted for by the four known forces of physics. And in physics, those four known forces are called the strong and weak nuclear forces, electromagnetism, and gravity. So uh, if you've heard of the, you know, I'm sure you have heard the terms like chi, Reiki energy, um, other non-local forms of communication that have been documented in various scientific studies, for example, healing at a distance, remote viewing, psychokinesis, and other psi phenomena, uh, all of these uh, involve subtle energetic processes that can't be directly detected by conventional electromagnetic instruments. But what we can do is we can, uh, we can measure the influence of subtle energy on human biology and other things like plants and so on. So we have a strong body of scientific, scientific evidence um, that shows us that these energetic forces that are much subtler than the four known forces of physics do in fact exist and they exert very real influences on human beings and on the earth. And uh, we operate from the paradigm that everything in the universe is not only energy, but it's informed energy. So we, we've heard this uh, common saying that everything is energy, and that would include not just the four known, physic, four known forces of physics, but also subtle energy, but everything is informed energy, and uh, that's the paradigm we, we work from. What is informed energy? Well, um, okay, so let's look at... Uh, Again, that famous um, popular saying that everyone repeats over and over again, everything is energy. Um, that Some people consider that as coming from New Age sources, but it also comes from a certain interpretation from Einstein's equation, E equals mc squared, where E uh, is energy and m is mass and c squared is the speed of light. Essentially, it's saying that uh, Energy can be converted into mass, and mass can be converted into energy, and that they are equivalent. And uh, what we believe is missing from this equation is an informational component. And the way I would uh, illustrate that is, is if we take all of the mass and all of the matter in the universe and speed it up to the uh, speed of light so that it all becomes pure energy, and we have a uh, a pure, uh, formless sea of energy. What happens if we want to reverse that process so that we uh, transform or transform that energy into, say, a um, uh, water or the the hydrogen molecule or the oxygen molecule? What informs that energy? to become a tree? What informs it to become a mammal life form? Uh, what informs it to become a single cell life form? In other words, there's an informational component that tells some of that energy to become a particular life form and then informs its entire evolution throughout its existence. And that missing component is information. Right, So we believe everything is informed energy, or in other words, energy has a, an innate informational component. And in fact, scientists, um, physicists of today 
are tending to the um, trend of referring to everything as information. Um, there is a physicist, physicist by the name of Paul Davies who in his book, Information and Nature of Reality, has talked about, he has said that without the perpetual exchange of information at all levels of organization, no functional order in the living organism could be sustained. The processes of life would implode into a jumble of chaos if they were not perpetually stabilized by information and communication. So we see everything as information and uh, this idea uh, to inform comes from the Latin, and please pardon my pronunciation, it comes from the Latin informare, uh, informare. Uh, basically that means to provide form, right? It's like a, it's like a mold that cre uh, creates a particular shape, right? So nothing is created without information. Anything that has form mm -hmm. has that form, because mm -hmm. information is providing that form, so we yeah. see we see we see information as having basically three functions. Um, it helps to form the shape of any form. It plays a role in organizing and regulating, and it plays a role in communicating uh, energy and information within that form. And so, really, the way uh, as the paradigm that we work from is that information is at the heart of matter and it is at the essence of human biology. So it's interesting because I wrote in my book, Hardwired to Heaven, that it's the form that informs <laughs> that, yeah. um, you know, going, going to sacred geometry, you know, um, there is a particular energy that that shape imbues and <laughs> uh, the information. Um, so is this information then, could we call it the same thing as consciousness? It, it is certainly related to consciousness. Um, that's an interesting question. I don't know that I would personally equate information as consciousness, but information is a, appears to be a byproduct. Uh, uh -huh. And awareness. Um, so that's a great question. I don't know if I can answer it. That's probably the best I can do there. Um, but essentially what we see, you know, what I'm reminded of is Rupert Sheldrake, who's the um, English uh, 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 biologist from the UK. He's developed this, and I'm sure you, you're very familiar with it, this idea of morphogenetic fields. Mm -hmm. Again, these are invisible, non-physical, form-shaping fields of energy and information, and they speak to design, right? They speak to this idea that um, whereas, you know, uh, mainstream science, when it refers to the design of things, it tends to talk about uh, genes, gene activation, proteins, things like that. And on a certain level, that's kind of like explaining the building of a house by saying that two by fours and bricks were delivered to a building site, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really, it only speaks about the, the materials. It doesn't really explain how those materials were combined to create a, a unique architectural design. And so uh, whereas we're relating information to consciousness, architectural design does uh, if there's 
if there's information that's informing life to be as it is and to evolve as it is, um, that does imply the presence of consciousness um, that's somehow uh, giving expression to that design. Um, so that that's a very, very interesting interesting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, therefore, if um, our human bodies then are have subtle energies within them, then there's this other information that um, I'm assuming from what we've said uh, goes along with that energy. And is that information that we are conscious of or can become conscious of? Is it something that can inform us in ways that we haven't tapped into yet? Yes, we can talk about some of the, some of the research um, and studies on that. So I would say that there um, it's informing us both on a, a conscious level, but also on an unconscious level. And also we'll get into, uh, I'm just going to kind of freeform here. Uh, we'll also get into a little bit of how, this field of information that is informing our biology, that is informing our evolution, that is forming the, uh, the, uh, informing the evolution of consciousness, that field, we're also informing it, right? So there's a two-way mm-hmm. exactly. communication. Yep. We're gonna, yes. There's a sender and a receiver, but it turns out that the sender is also a receiver and the receiver is also a receiver. Uh-huh. Gonna, yeah, I call it a game of ping pong. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the biological um, uh, foundations for how this subtle energetic sending and receiving of information takes place between field and organism. And um, I'll just kind of jump off from that again back to Sheldrake because his morphic morphogenetic field idea is uh, it really will help illustrate more of this and help me to unfold more of this. Um, so remember, we just mentioned that information plays three main roles. We talked about how information plays a role in formation. It plays a role in organization and it plays a role in communication. So in Sheldrake's view, uh, morphic fields play basically the same roles in biological processes. And this essentially, the way I see it, this essentially places invisible, subtle, energetic processes at the heart of biology. And that's why I entitled this talk Invisible Biology. Uh, So at present, you know, the way science currently thinks of these kinds of processes, science hasn't been able to explain, for example, how DNA commands the cells of a child to grow only to a certain point and no further. Uh, and the way I would bring that down to brass tacks, how, how you make sense of that is, so for example, the, the DNA in your ear and the DNA in your big toe, they're identical. There's nothing in that DNA that differentiates uh, the DNA in your ear from the DNA in your toe. So what is it that is informing that DNA to become an ear? or informing that DNA to become a toe or a specific organ. There's something outside of the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, mainstream uh, um, genetic science that 
that has to be uh, explained this. And I believe um, uh, Sheldrake's morphogenetic field does a good job at that at this. And the current mechanistic view uh, can't, it can't explain what organizes these components into patterns. It doesn't explain what holds them together or encourages them to continue in assembling into higher forms. And it doesn't show how, doesn't explain how organs and organisms behave holistically, right? Kind of explains the, the collection of parts, but it doesn't, doesn't explain the holism. So morphic mm -hmm. resonance, on the other hand, it helps to explain how proteins progressively arrange into higher forms, first as cells and then as tissues and, and eventually as organisms. But also it explains how organisms are greater than the sum of their parts. And this wholeness of living organisms defines them as being much more than mere aggregates of parts. So morphic resonance offers a more holistic view, and um, it kind of helps us to imagine more of how form emerges and cooperates with other forms on various levels to support their evolution into higher forms. And uh, I'd like to talk just maybe a, a couple of experiments, maybe two or three studies that have been uh, conducted by Sheldrake and others to show that there indeed do seem to be these invisible fields to which we are subtly in training that are affecting not, our, our, not only our biological processes on an unconscious level, but are also affecting how we learn uh, and grow psychologically. So there was a study that Sheldrake did with um, uh, British school children uh, where he asked them, I think he took, uh, he either took three different groups or he um, took the same group and he taught them three different Japanese verses. One was a very popular rhyme that was known by millions of Japanese, had been around for a long time. The second one was a meaningless series of Japanese words that they had arranged to look meaningful. And the third was a brand new Japanese verse that they had created just for that study. And uh, keep in mind that none of those children knew the Japanese language. Sheldrake uh, didn't know which rhyme was which, neither did the students. And what they essentially found was that the children were able to learn the popular, well-known Japanese rhyme much more quickly than the other two. And although we can't use this as absolute conclusive proof that Shelbert Drake's hypothesis is true, it does support it. And his hypothesis, hypothesis here would be that this rhyme was connected to a very well-formed, invisible, informational morphic field developed over a considerable period of time, which subtly enabled these children to learn the rhyme more quickly via resonance. So when I use that term resonance, I'm basically referring to an, an invisible, non-physical transference of energy and information. Um, so, some people have referred it to as quantum resonance. Some people like that term. Some people hate that term. We'll get into that here on this call because we don't have enough time to discuss all that. But uh, essentially what we're finding is here is that over a period of time, it seems that a mutual resonance was established between human organisms and this particular field around this Japanese rhyme, right? And that resonance, which had been built up over time, was somehow resonating with the the biology, the hearts, and the minds of these young children so that they could un uh, unconsciously 
uh, learn that that rhyme much more quickly than than the other two types of Japanese uh, characters. So if this if this is a, a correct interpretation, basically it's it's saying that human beings we on a subtle level we're always in training to this field and to multiple invisible informational fields. And these fields are involved in all the daily tasks and the things that we are learning as we evolve. Um, it's, it's a non-physical, subtle, energetic transference of energy and information. And that's going on between field and organism. Now, what are these morphic fields made of? Are they electromagnetic in nature? Well, they're non-physical, right? So we said that electromagne- electromagnetism is, is, is one of the physical known forces, right? So morphic fields are not physical. They're, not, they're non-physical. So we're talking about sub, whenever I say subtle energetic processes, I, am, I will always be talking about processes, processes that cannot be accounted for by bioelectric. Uh, that includes bioelectric um, forces, right? So the heart and the brain, they produce an electrical field, right? That's mm-hmm. not subtle. That's measurable science by science, so it's not subtle, right? It may be subtle in conventional terms, but it's not subtle in the scientific term that we're using to describe subtle energies because it can be measured and detected directly by conventional electromagnetic instruments because it okay. is a physical force, right? So yeah. um, we'll, we'll so we know that there's an effect. So we have to go backwards in our thinking here. Uh, we know that there is an effect, so there must have been some cause. And we're assuming that cause is a subtle energy in a field. We call it a field. So that right. field well, for, is – Go ahead. So I'm just trying to, you know, uh, wrap my mind around this. So that field could be like life force energy, like the energy that permeates everything. Uh, for something sure. Like um, that. Well, what we know from uh, from research in quantum physics, and what we know from, uh, for example, uh, the uh, perennial tradition, spiritual tradition, various scriptures, there's a, a picture painted. Uh, so, for example, in the Vedas, there is this principle of Akash and of the Akashic records, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a is basically space uh, that permeates all existence. But the idea is that this space is not empty. It's full of energy and information, but it also records energy and information. And in various wisdom traditions, what we see over time is this picture painted of a space-time dimension that is not really empty uh, in the way that we think of space. And it records everything that that has ever happened, including every thought that has ever been thought, every intention Mm -hmm. that has ever been intended, every emotion that has ever been felt. It's recorded in this field. There is something innate to this space-time reality that naturally records everything. Right now, if you think about it, all form is a form of memory. Right? I mean, I couldn't uh, move from point A to point B and still 
my body being intact if it didn't remember um, its basic form and hold that form as I moved from point A to point B, right? Um, memory, memory is an innate form of, of this reality in which it, uh, it's intimately related to this form of this reality in which we live. And there is something about this very subtle di- dimension, which, um, in, uh, for example, in Ken Wilber's integral framework, it would be called the, the um, causal field, right? It's related to non-locality and how things are uh, related to one another beyond space-time and how they can communicate with one another non-locally in a way that often defies space-time limitations so that that, that communication takes place uh, faster than the speed of light uh, regardless of the distance or even the time involved um, and it communicates instantaneously. This is all tied to the ca- causal um, field in his framework. It, that That is another word for the Akashic field in the Vedic framework. Uh, and that has a relationship to uh, the work we do where we source um, so from our, our paradigm, any intention, any state of consciousness, anything that has ever existed, its frequency or its um, vibrational blueprint is recorded in that quantum field. And it can be tapped into non-locally through that quantum field. Um, and... Um, is that how you create so, your products? That's how we create some of them, yes. Um, mm-hmm. But um, part of how we also create our products is um, uh, we use non-local carrier waves. So, for example, I'm working on a, uh, the energetic signature of maca root right now. And essentially what I do with that is um, I'll get into this a little bit a little bit later uh, but we use a specific non-local carrier wave that uh, has a whole history about how it was discovered. It, it's a naturally occurring carrier wave in nature. And uh, its implications are quite profound. But essentially what it does is it carries information. And you could say that it extracts the morphic field. You can use it to extract the morphic fields of various substances. And so what we do is we use a unique process to interface that non-local carrier wave with maca root powder and thereby extract the morphic field or informational signature of that uh, maca root powder. And then we capture it as a digital signal. We amplify it uh, thousands of times and then encode it into various digital media so that when you uh, play that media on electronic devices, you will get that signature and essentially get the same benefits as you would if you were um, uh, ingesting the physical root, um, which you know, which is has all kinds of um, advantages uh, in and of itself. But um, similar to homeopathy, um, then. It's similar to homeopathy. you're getting the vibrational essence of a, of a thing. That's right. It's similar. It's similar to homeopathy, 
the way we do it, it tends to be much more, much stronger than homeopathy and a much more uh, effective <laughs> than than homeopathy. But the same, um, sort of the same principles, and mm-hmm. um, you could almost call it a form of digital homeopathy. Um, and you know, we can talk about you know the implications, some of the implications of homeopathy. Um, Actually, that gets into uh, again. I want to stay on uh, this trajectory, if we can, of invisible bi- biology and tie this all this in, because uh, where homeopathy would tie in is, of course, how water holds information, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so, one of the ways that uh, we've had people tell us, or, you know, uh, um, we have a lot of people, a lot of um, customers who love the w- work that we're doing, but occasionally we do have people who come along who are very skeptical, some who are even, uh, uh, you know, angry and rude that we would be so bold as to claim that these kinds of subtle energetic processes are uh, possible, right? And uh, we, I remember we've even had a couple of, of people who've gone on our, our Facebook forum and have just, you know, basically screamed in all caps that it's impossible for subtle energy to influence biological processes or to replicate or reproduce biochemical processes. And what we're finding through the science, what we already know anecdotally from uh, over a decade of experience, that's definitely not true. Um, we have, there's no doubt that, uh, that subtle energy absolutely plays not only a, a, a secondary, but uh, an essential role in biological processes. Um, in fact, it, uh, the formation of the DNA and how it's shaped, uh, it's designed as an antenna to pick up subtle energetic signals. And I believe that's part of how the, the body is able to receive, send and receive information with these non, uh, non-local informational fields or morphic fields uh, is through, you know, partially through the DNA, but also through the water, right? So one of the... Well, there's uh, water inside talk- DNA. Well, there's water inside DNA, but the DNA itself is also. Uh, maybe I'll just start with the DNA. Um, the DNA itself, it has um, at least three different mechanisms by which it can act as a, a its own uh, antenna, particularly for subtle energy. And we'll talk about how we know that, right? So. Uh, there was a study done by uh, Glenn Ryan, Ph.D. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. He's a um, prominent researcher in the field of subtle energy, and he published a paper in the 90s in which he discussed a series of experiments exploring the effects of human intention on DNA. And he was looking at studies that demonstrated that specific human intentions could either wind or unwind the two strands that make up DNA. And uh, basically, by the way, unwinding of DNA is what takes place before a cell divides, and the mm-hmm. winding of DNA it tends to be associated with DNA repair. So um, rather than going through the whole study, I'll just touch upon two different findings that came out of that study. First, it was found that human attention, intention, it did in fact measurably influence the winding or unwinding of DNA strands. And this Basically, among other mechanisms, this was attributed to, uh, as I'm sure you well know, the, the electromagnetic field generated by the heart. They basically found that 
people who are able to generate a very strong level of heart coherence, and then we're able to couple that coherence with directed intention towards the DNA, which usually was in the same room in which they were sitting. They were found, they found that certain people could repeatedly either wind or unwind DNA through this uh, 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 very coherent generated heart coherence field and through their directed intention. So there's been a lot of literature written on that. But essentially, that doesn't get into the subtle energy because, as we talked about before, the electromagnetic field generated by the, by the heart, even though that's profound and we can learn a lot from that, and it's, it's really fascinating um, subject material, it's still not subtle in, in the sense that we're talking about subtle because it's measurable by um, a magnetometer, for example. So... The second finding I'd like to talk about gets directly into the subtle energetic aspects of the study because what they found is that certain people, uh, and particularly uh, very experienced healers, they could create the same effects from miles away. And this can't be explained through any type of cohort heart field, um, at least not the electromagnetic aspect of that field because electromagnetism can't account for those kind of distances. can't travel those kinds of distances that fast instantaneously. And the field, the electromagnetic field produced by the heart would be so weak, it just couldn't cover that kind of distance that quickly. So that's where the subtle energy comes in. So what I'd like to talk about a little bit is about the specific shape of DNA. And remember, we talked about how information is involved in the shape of things right? What shape that you mm-hmm. So DNA yeah, has yeah. a specific shape for a reason. And uh, there are at least two shapes associated with DNA that I believe are specifically associated with how it communicates with morphic fields and how it sends, transmits, and transduces subtle energetic uh, information uh, and energy. Uh, so the first is the double helical spiral, which everyone's familiar with. And then the second is a lesser-known shape that the DNA can take under certain conditions, and that's the shape of the toroid or donut. So if we take a look at the double helical spiral, um, uh, in my years of studying subtle energy, one of my mentors has been uh, the Egyptian architect by the name of Dr. Ibrahim Karim, he's formed his own uh, science of subtle energy that he refers to as biogeometry. And he discovered a unique subtle energy quality in nature uh, associated with various healing power spots in nature. And he found this energy quality to have a profound harmonizing effect on human biology, mm-hmm. as well as on electromagnetic fields and the environment. And he found that it basically harmonizes electromagnetic fields. Uh, very, uh, it's a very profound quality. We use it a lot in our work. And he further discovered that this energy quality was made up of three unique subtle energy uh, sub-qualities or gradients, one of which he had already been extensively studied and documented by uh, the uh, founders of the French School of Radiesthesia in the early 20th century. And what they discovered was that this unique subtle energetic radiation that was later expounded upon by Dr. Kareem, what they found 
and I'm going to tie this back to DNA, so please just go with me here. Uh, what they found was that this radiation, um, and not all radiation is bad, by the way, uh, but this, uh, they found that this radiation was naturally occurring in nature and had the rare quality of acting as a kind of non-local, non-local carrier wave. So it was found to be at the center of the formation process in nature as well as at the center of virtually all of the major energy center, centers in the human body. And uh, um, this also includes, and especially, the human heart. So the human heart produces this non-local carrier wave. And as I'll get into in a little bit here, I believe that it's this subtle energetic carrier wave. That is, it's, it's not uh, electromagnetism. It is something that transcends electromagnetism. It's much subtler than electromagnetism and can travel through any, uh, any known uh, material, and it can travel faster than the speed of light. And I believe it's involved in this uh, non-local process of distance healing and communication, and it's directly interacting with the DNA, and I'll talk about that a little bit. So what's really interesting is that strong concentrations of this energy gradient were discovered to be associated with places of prayer and meditation, right? So again, mm-hmm. that brings in the non-locality, because if you're, if you're, uh, what, what are you, if you're praying, what are you communicating with? Well, you're, you're communicating with, communicating, um, with, a, with an awareness or a consciousness that is essentially not local, right? So this, uh, what they found was in, in the places where monks had spent years and decades in heart-centered prayer and meditation, they would find mm-hmm. strong concentrations of this, of this uh, carry wave. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, now, an interesting thing was found was they found really strong concentrations of this non-local carry wave with um, in places where um, there's a phenomenon called the incorruptibility of the saints. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but it's a phenomenon that's been well documented Mm -hmm. where uh, in which saints and notable holy persons from various traditions have been exhumed from their graves and found to display either partial or virtually no decay at all of the physical body. Yes. And, these researchers found uh, there was one particular researcher in, in particular who found that the all of these bodies that he studied they all had extraordinarily high concentrations of this non-local carrier wave. So uh, what we're seeing here is a strong influence of this particular carrier wave on human DNA, such that it it, it affects. So that it doesn't even decay, right? There's a, a certain memory of eternity almost that's um, recorded in that DNA, so that it doesn't decay even after the death. Um, so again, we're seeing a relationship between this non-local carrier wave and human DNA. And what I'll do is just kind of cut to the chase here. And my hypothesis is that the non-local effects observed in Glenn Wright's study were afforded in part by this non-local non-Hertzian subtle energetic carrier wave generated by the heart, then this non-local carrier wave is involved not only in the sending of the subtle energetic information to human DNA, it's also likely involved in the DNA's ability to receive that information. And one of the ways it does that is through its spiral shape. So um, now I had mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier that Dr. Mm -hmm. Kareem found this non-local carrier wave to be at the center of the formation process in nature. So what do we see a lot of in nature? 
we see spirals, right? Yeah. So whether yeah. it's, it's yeah. the spiral Fibonacci. formation of galaxies. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. 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 The Fibonacci, the spiral mm-hmm. formation of galaxies, hurricanes, aloe vera plants, nautilus shells, sunflowers, and DNA right. itself. And generally spirals are seen to occur because the forces that create the spiral are in equilibrium. Remember how we talked about how Dr. Cream said that this this uh, non-local carry wave is not only at the, the center of the formation process in nature, it's deeply harmonizing, right? Which means it creates equilibrium, harmony, right? Uh, well, it turns out the spirals produce uh, or emit or emanate this carrier wave. So the very spiraling design of DNA itself is designed not only to uh, emit uh, this 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 uh, carrier wave, but to receive it, right? And mm-hmm. there's a secondary, um, and uh, and let's also talk about. Um, so, you know, this is our first example of how DNA can act as an antenna for receiving and sending non-local. So this is one mechanism by which um, that we can offer evidence that DNA is part of the mechanism by which the body is able to receive uh, subtle energetic, non-Hertzian, non-electromagnetic, subtle energetic signals and information. Now, uh, Eric, we, can I just interject one second? Um, yes. I, I think this is an example of what happened to me and maybe will lend credibility to what you're saying. Uh, I went to, I think it was Our Lady of Guadalupe Church in Santa Fe, and there's a room in the back where they pray 24-7. Mm. And there's a picture of Christ, and he's in, I, it's with the three rays coming out of the heart. And mm-hmm. uh, I was staying with a friend, and I would go there, and I'm like, okay. And I would go, and I'd pray, and, you know, and come out of there. And one day, I thought, oh, my God, I'm having a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> you know, I kept feeling this pressure in my chest and palpitations. Mm. And I told her, and she says, oh, I forgot to tell you, it's a heart-opening place. Mm. So so yeah. then I may have been feeling then that imprint uh, of the, the um, subtle energies from all those prayers, and mm-hmm. then has that then impacted my own DNA, perhaps? That, that, is, that seems like a very reasonable hypothesis to me, uh, because one of the, the things we know based on William Tiller's um, research is that subtle energies also condition the space in which mm-hmm. they, uh, they're generated. Definitely. So if you have a uh-huh. space yeah. that has been um, uh, consistently producing these energies in high concentration for a long period of time, anyone who enters that space, particularly if they're sensitive, will, will tend to feel a qualitative shift in their mm-hmm. consciousness due to the conditioning of that space. All right. Well, there's, there's, <laughs> there's one example of it for everyone then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Continue I've experienced things like that many times. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I try to keep it all. Um, I try to speak in terms of, of hypotheses, uh, but in my own 
you know, my own experience, uh, I've experienced these things so many times that it's, it's probably more than just a hypothesis, but I still speak in those terms because that's, that's the proper way to do, you know, the proper scientific approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, so another aspect of how DNA produces these subtle energetic carrier waves and receives them is not only its spiral nature, but its double helix spiral nature. So uh, it's not simply a spiral, it's a double spiral. And the double spiral is situated such that each of the two spirals is nearly 180 degrees out of phase with the other spiral. And this kind of double spiral can produce what has been called a scalar wave. Um, uh-huh. Thomas, Thomas Bearden, I think it was in the 90s, he made the scalar mm-hmm. wave really famous. Yes. I would say a better, a better um, term for that is the Russian term, which would be torsion wave. Um, I don't. I tend to stay away from the term scalar, but essentially this double spiral where you have two waveforms that are canceling each other out because they're 180 degrees out of phase with each other, um, they, they're going to produce uh, a torsion wave, a longitudinal, mm-hmm. non-Hertzian, subtle energetic carrier wave, right. similar if not identical to the one we, we had talked about before. Uh, and uh, uh, this is also related to the work that Tesla did. Um, so mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. of these non-local carrier waves are capable of passing through nearly any solid material, of traveling many times faster than the speed of light, enabling instantaneous communication of energy and information regardless of the distance. And I believe that this unique spiraling shape of DNA plays an essential role in the transmission and reception of subtle energetic information relevant to human biology and there, we said that there's a second shape, and that's the toroid. Um, and going back to Glenn Ryan's study, he talked about how a secondary shape that DNA can take under certain conditions is the toroid. And he theorized, uh, based on other published experimental data, that the toroid shape of DNA acts as both an antenna and a transducer to both receive subtle energetic signals and transduce them into electromagnetic and biochemical signals that thereby exert uh, measurable influences on human biology. So we have, now we have a a mechanism by which not only can uh, DNA uh, receive and transmit Mm -hmm. signals, it can transduce them into electromagnetic signals, biochemical Uh signals. In other words, they can um, step those... um, subtle energetic signals down into the four known forces of physics, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so if you think of how, like, the, the essential uh, biochemical um, uh, uh, paradigm is that, you know, a, uh, a molecule that exerts influences on the body has specific receptor sites on the body. And each receptor site has like a gateway, right? And the molecule is like a key that fits into that gateway and unlocks it, right? But what is a molecule? But really, it's just a a geometrical formation. Exactly. Um, And that formation, as we talked about, what is it? uh, What's informing it? What's informing the oxygen molecule to have, um, or the water molecule to have, 
a relationship between the hydrogen molecule and the um, uh, 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 oxygen molecule such that there's like an, uh, a 0.95 uh, degree uh, angstrom or angle, so they create kind of a V. What, what gives right, that yeah. shape? It's, inf it's yeah. information, right? Yeah. Really, it's yeah. in, there's a certain data set, subtle energetic transference or resonance of information that is informing that molecule to take that particular uh, shape. And it's essentially, the, uh, it's a rhythm, right? They're taking mm -hmm. on certain rhythms mm -hmm. that create attraction and repulsion so that they keep uh, perfect distances from each other and they remain, uh, they retain their shape, their molecular shape. That is essentially, it's a vibration, it's a rhythm, it's a pulse. And if you can uh, replicate the pulse, you don't necessarily need the molecule. You can unlock the, 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 the key or, or the, the lock of the gateway using the, the pulse rate as the key. So are you um, saying this or the pulse rate or the is, informational code? Go ahead. Is this pulse rate then the particle oscillation? Because the the angle yeah, at which has, water forms is why you can have these hydrogen bonds forming and breaking and forming and breaking. Is that part of the that's particle part of oscillation? It. Yes. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. That's part of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that you know, um, and that's part of also probably of how water is retaining information uh, is through how it's um, the, the water molecules bond with each other and how they oscillate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's uh, you know, getting onto water, which is probably another mechanism by how, uh, and it, as you said, it surrounds every cell and it surrounds the DNA and it is likely playing a, an amplification role in amplifying these subtle energetic signals that the DNA is picking up. So water and DNA are working together. Uh, but, you know, three-quarters of, of the earth is made up of water. And the general paradigm that I've come to adopt is that water mediates life force energy and consciousness. There's a reason why our bodies are, uh, you know, two-thirds water and that the earth is two-thirds or more three-quarters water. Yeah. And that's because yeah. that water plays a mediating role. And without yes. it, you, you don't have life. I mean, and even mainstream science yeah. need the uh, information. concedes that water is essential to life. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, you look at all the body fluids, uh, and fluids in the body play a tremendous role in the communication of nutrients, right, to the cells. Um, yes. So you've got bile, blood, menstrual fluid, mucus, pus, saliva, sweat, tears, urine, vomit, semen. Um and so we say that uh, that water plays this essential role to the communication of energy and information. And one of the ways that I came upon this was through a very visceral experience rather than reading about it and having a, an intellectual aha moment around it. I had a visceral experience of it where in my early days when I was first developing this technology, I had developed a small device that you could carry in your pocket that would essentially uh, I had created, um, I had developed an energetic signature of uh, blue green algae. And 
it, you know, I was at the time it really quite blew me away. I was it, I couldn't believe it. I was playing it through my computer and I was getting high as a kite. In the same way, if I'd taken a very high dose of blue green algae and uh, it was my first dose, you know, because uh, when you first take it, it gets you get a lot of energy and it gets you very uh, get it, it gets the brain firing up, gets all the good neurotransmitters firing up, you feel really good. And uh, the energy got so strong uh, from this device, I decided to put it away from me, and I stuck it over in the corner of the room I was working in, and uh, I just let it sit there, and I didn't think about it. And about an hour or two later, I started feeling the energy again, and I was feeling it stronger than I had ever felt it before. And I was like, what is happening here? And I eventually figured out that uh, what had happened was I had uh, two or three gallons of spring water sitting over in that corner. And what the water was doing was it was absorbing that energy and information being uh, emanated by that device, and it was amplifying it and distributing it throughout the entire room. And it was really strong, really powerful. And that's when I realized uh-huh. that energy uh-huh. energy is a, a kind of battery. It stores information, it emanates information, and it amplifies information. And uh, I had another experience of this when I was training um, with uh, – uh, Dr. Uh, Kareem and one of his principal uh, uh, students who teaches his system, Dr. Gilbert, um, they were using some of their tools, um, and they, they said if you wanted to amplify, they have a cube uh, that emits uh, some of this uh, harmonizing quality I talked about earlier. and uh, um, But it's only so powerful, and he said if you want to, amplify it, you can just take the cube and place it in a bowl of water. And what will happen uh, is that the water will not only soften the energy, it'll start to amplify it and distribute throughout the entire room. And I found that that was true. And so what we found is uh, in our products feature uh, what we call mandalas, which are essentially energetically encoded digital pictures that uh, come in a printable form. And if you print that out, the print actually carries the energy. We've had people occasionally say, how is this possible? There's no way I can print this out of my uh, inkjet printer and it's going to carry the energy. And yes, it does. It does work. It is possible. And uh, one of the ways you can amplify the prints is uh, you can uh, print out the, the print and it doesn't matter if it's in black and white or color ink. And just take a, any bowl of water. I like to use a mm-hmm. glass bowl of water. Mm-hmm. Fill it full of water. The bigger the bowl, the stronger the energy will be eventually. And then just let it set there. And eventually, over time, you'll start to feel the, the room, the energy will start to distribute throughout the room and amplify. And it's just a natural, it's kind of like a diffuser for subtle energy. It will be, it will distribute that energy throughout the whole room. Um, and at times, I've done experiments... <laughs> I've done experiments with that in my own home where the energy's gotten so strong I've had to, you know, <laughs> pour the water out because it, it – and there there's more things there going on than just with the water. It also has to do with the shape of the bowl because the bowl uh, – if you notice our, I, our satellites are bowl-shaped, right? Mm-hmm, and you notice mm-hmm. that the, the, the top of our head are like a modified dome. Yeah. Mm-hmm, you notice mm-hmm. in various temples and mosques, you see the 
modified dome, right? The Capitol mm-hmm. building in Washington, D.C. is a modified dome. Right. Mm-hmm. That's because domes project energy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they, all, they can also, if created in the right way, they can project this harmonizing quality that I've talked about. Um, so the, putting the water in the bowl creates this unique combination of form or shape and the uh, natural uh, information storage, amplification, and broadcast abilities, capacities of water. And that, that was my introduction. Uh, so, you know, when I started becoming aware of the different theories of the memory of water, and I'd watch all the, the documentaries, and then um, I would see on social media, if, if I talked about it or if anyone talked about it, people would jump up and say, or if you Google it, uh, Wikipedia, you know, it will say that water memory is pseudoscience, homeopathy is pseudoscience. And the people, I, you know, I respect mm-hmm. all people, but the people who say this have no clue what they're talking about. They, they really don't. And, and, and yeah. I, again, because yeah. I'd have the visceral experience, um, when people would say that, I would like, well, okay, I mean, I can understand why you're saying it, and that's perfectly fine, but um, if you're going to be scientific, you need to be open to the data. If you're not open right. to the data and you, com- and you consistently uh, dismiss the data, uh, you know, with some type of emotional weight, you're like, oh, that, that's just pseudoscience. I don't respect people who speak like that. That's not a true scientific mindset because being truly scientific means being open to the data. Open. If you're not open yeah. to the data, you're not yeah. scientific. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I, I, when I wrote Hardwired to Heaven, I was doing a lot of research about water. I wrote a lot about water and um, its effect uh, because I was saying that energy always has information with it. That's just what you're saying. And so I'm trying to explain how we can translate that energy in the body. And so what I wrote was water is the medium through which the language of light is written. That's how we get the information that comes into ourselves, into everything. It's able to Mm -hmm. transmit that information. So whether it amplifies it, whether it's through super radiance, uh, you know, Stuart Hammerhoff talks about this a lot and the microtubules yeah. themselves. Um, sure. So water, it, water is more than just, you know, when they say water is life, there's a lot more to water about, oh, you need water. You know, you have to drink water to, to hydrate. Well, there's a lot more to it is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's uh, some interesting proofs um, of how water can retain information that have come out of the use of what's called the nuclear magnetic resonance or NMR. And essentially what nuclear magnetic resonance uh, is, is it's a property that's exhibited by magnetic nuclei in a magnetic field when electromagnetic um, pulse of some sort is applied to that. So uh, essentially the magnetic pulse is absorbed by the nuclei uh, of, say, water, and then that nuclei will radiate energy back out at a specific resonant frequency. And these resonant frequencies represent different energetic properties of different kinds of water. So, you know, what we've seen in some of these studies is when we send magnetic pulses into 
homeopathic water versus controls, other types of water, we can clearly see that the homeopathic, homeopathic water produces very dis different resonant frequencies from the other mm -hmm. types of water. And mm -hmm. all of these waters are chemically identical, you know, uh, but resonantly speaking, they're very different. And the homeopathic process appears to play an essential role in the variance of this diversity and resonance. Uh, so there is one study where they compared double distilled water with highly diluted homeopathic water. And when they subjected uh, these to nuclear magnetic resonance, what it showed was that the homeopathic water contained very highly organized presence of information. Um, it just, it, it produces resonant frequencies that no other water will produce. And that's because even though the chemical uh, aspect is identical to the other types of water, how that water is bonding with itself, how the water molecules are bonding is very mm -hmm. physically different. And so mm -hmm. it's shaping, and it's different because yes. it's holding information, right? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. shaping how those resonant frequencies are reflected back through uh, nuclear magnetic resonance. And there was a, uh, there's another technique that uh, by uh, an Italian physicist and chemist uh, Vittorio Ilia, uh, who basically used, I think it's called microcalorimetry. And they use this to detect heat differences uh, in water. And it uses, basically what it does is it mixes two different solutions and it's able to precisely measure the heat that's generated by the collisions of all the millions of molecules between these two different mixtures. And what they found was that regular water ha always has a, the same uh, calorimeter reading. Uh, but what they did after thousands of samples of homeopathic remedies, they found that the heat signatures produced by these homeopathic remedies were always much higher than produced by regular water. And not only were they higher, but that the heat didn't decay over time. In fact, it increased over time, which huh. goes against the conservation of energy. And why is it doing it? Because the water is holding information. It's informed. Right. Uh, so, you know, homeopathic remedies, they're not just fresh water. They're, they're warmer. They literally exude different physical properties, even mm -hmm. though their chemical makeup is, identical to regular water. And this is very solid proof, in my opinion, uh, uh, to the idea that water holds memory. And because it does, the water in our own bodies, it's not only uh, communicating physical nutrients and biochemicals, it's probably communicating um, uh, subtle energetic frequencies and codes that are picked up uh, from the ambient environment and probably through the, the morphic field. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I 100% agree with you. <laughs> Wrote a lot of similar stuff in my book. Do you want do you want to continue on with this? I know we're after the uh, uh, or uh, uh, that's after fine. The 60 minute um, mark. I, yeah. 
do you want to say a little bit more by the, about the biophotonic field, or have you finished that? And well, we can talk a little bit about it. I'll keep that short. Um, essentially, so uh, a, a physicist or a, a biologist by the name of Pop discovered that uh, DNA produces um, very uh, weak but coherent signals of light. Um, they're called biophotons. And uh, over, the, I think, the past couple of decades, there's been a whole science of biophotons that's been developed. And essentially, the body uses this biophotonic process to create sort of a hologram within the body of, uh, that, that travels at the speed of light uh, that communicates all the different uh, cellular processes instantaneously, right? Because you know, one of the, again, we talked about how do cells communicate with each other holistically? If they're, you know, the cell in my knee is uh, on the cellular level, it's, it's eons away, you know, uh, from the, the cells in my brain, right? Uh, or the cells in my, my face. How do they communicate with each other? What appears to be, in part, this biophotonic field that's developed, uh, that is uh, emitted by the DNA. And remember, we talked about how the DNA is a, not only a, a, a receiver of subtle energetic signals and of signals from the morphic field, but it also transduces those signals into electromagnetic signals. So that, that biophoton is probably, that biophotonic bio field is being uh, transduced by the DNA into a, a light, uh, an electromagnetic light source within the body. Um, but what further research has found is as that biophotonic field uh, develops within the body and it reflects back on itself and you have biophotonic interference where they, uh, biophotons cancel each other out this gets into a theory that has been developed by uh, a researcher by the name of Dr. Claude Swanson. He's written an excellent book I highly recommend. It's called Life Force, the Scientific Basis. And his theory says that this is that when these photons uh, in, uh, intersect and they cancel each one out, it's essentially producing a tiny scalar or or torsion wave, as we had talked about mm -hmm. earlier when we were mm -hmm. talking about DNA, right? And yeah. again, it's creating yeah. this non-local carrier wave that mm -hmm. carries the information of the biophotonic field outside the body. So the interference of the biophotons are, are the more coherent they become, the more they cancel each other out, the more they produce this uh, non-local carrier informational torsion wave outside the body, and that torsion field outside the body is the aura, and it carries the um, the perfect uh, holographic image of all the biophotonic processes going on with all the cells and within all the organs inside the body. And because, and, and again, you have the DNA transforming signals from the uh, quantum field, from the morphic field, into electromagnetic signals that are producing biophotons that are interacting and um, interfering with one another and canceling each other out and creating a torsion field 
that then produces a holographic informational field of everything that's going inside the body, outside the body, such that when you, if you change the information in that torsion field or aura outside the body, that information will, uh, will be reflected in the hologram within the body and change the processes within the body. So that's another um, uh, theorized uh, uh, mechanism by which subtle energy is influencing uh, biology. And that informational um, torsion field outside the body, the aura would also include the chakras. It would be related to the acupuncture system, uh, which is another, another system um, of subtle energetic yeah. influence. Yeah. Um, but that, that's the, the basic idea. So Curlian photography then uh, is taking a picture of the the torsion field. Then is that what it's capturing? Well, it, it, um, I don't know a whole lot about Curlian photography. There are some people who believe that is pseudoscience. I think there's something to it. I do know that um, uh, that's probably measuring part of the of the biofield and part of the aura, uh, because essentially biophotons. Um, biophotons, most of them remain within the body. If uh, biophotons have been photographed outside the body, but generally, the more biophotons you have outside the body, that that's the, uh, that means the body is not that healthy because it's losing biophotons. Right. So the biophotons mm-hmm. want to stay within the body. The more concentrated the biophotons become within the body, again, the stronger that interference pattern becomes the stronger that torsion field becomes, the stronger your aura becomes. Um, but there is a, another device that was loosely developed from Curlian photography. Uh, I think in the early days it was called an electronic form of Curlian photography, and it's now been uh, widely adopted in scientific circles. It's been um, used in numerous published papers. Uh, some of my... Uh, the work that we've done has been uh, measured using this device. It's called the, uh, uh, the, the popular name for it is the BioWell. The scientific name for it is the, um, uh, oh, um, <laughs> the gas discharge visualization device. Or another word for it would be biophotonic imaging. Uh, although it's not, I don't think that's entirely accurate, but uh, that device has been used a lot, in, and it's being more and more accepted in uh, mainstream science. And uh, I have I've got to sit down and talk with the creator of that device, Dr. Konstantin Karakov. And so there's um, a very strong scientific basis for how that device operates. I wouldn't say that it's detecting subtle energy directly. It's working more with the biophotons and the electrical impulses mm-hmm. Um, of the body, but it can show you how subtle energy impacts biological processes. It gives you a nice picture of that. Very good. So uh, in the last couple of minutes before we end here, Eric, can you uh, explain to the listeners about your quantum immunity that uh, is available to them and how they should use it and how you developed it? Sure. Um, so 
uh, it's basically something we developed free of charge to address the concerns, you know, not only with the coronavirus, but uh, basically with strengthening and fortifying the immune system in general. And it's essentially an energetically encoded broadcast web page that automatically transmits its immune strengthening energy signature as soon as the page loads in your browser. You have the link there. It's, um, there's also a downloadable version uh, and a printable version on the same page with instructions. We have video tutorials on there. And the quantum immunity program contains energetic signatures for strengthening the immune system for fighting viruses and infections. Uh, there's uh, uh, signatures in there for reducing fear and stress and anger and, again, just boosting the overall immune system. And you can uh, access it just by going to the website. Again, as soon as you get onto the page and load it, it starts emitting its energy. If you're on a phone, uh, there's nothing. You don't need to download anything. Just keep the page open, and uh, it will emit its energy through your phone. If you want to use the downloadable version, um, I don't recommend trying to download it straight from the website onto your phone because what will happen is that um, it will miniaturize the energetically encoded picture for quantum immunity, and that will reduce its effectiveness. So I suggest that you either first download it to your computer, then use a, a media uh, application like iTunes or something equivalent for an Android, and um, uh, use that, that media application to transfer the pictures uh, onto your phone and then set it as your uh, lock screen or wallpaper or both. And, um, again, we have video tutorials that show you how to do that. Or you can save the images to Dropbox and Google, and then I think you should be able to download the pictures from Dropbox or Google onto your phone without them being downsized. Just want to make sure that the, the, they haven't been downsized. And uh, I think that's that. And our website is subtle.energy. Awesome, Eric. Great, great information and brought back a lot of <laughs> memories of when I did my research for my book. I'm like, yep, yep, know that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So wonderful. Yeah, I was thinking of your book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, well, thank you so much for coming back on and all the work that you do. Um, it's incredible. It's useful. It's needed. And keep up the great work, Eric. Thank you so much. Hey, likewise, Joan. I really appreciate you having me, and uh, I wish you the best. All right. Keep in touch, Eric. <laughs> okay. Take care. So next week is our Loving the Earth Day, and Jane Reading and I do a special show on the third Tuesday of the month, and this Tuesday is the Tuesday prior to Earth Day. So this is going to be a special Loving the Earth Day. It's going to be an Earth Day, Loving the Earth Day. <laughs> so please don't miss it. We're going to do a lot of special things. Thank you for tuning in today. Please take care of yourselves. Be safe. Stay home. And much love to everyone. Take care.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.